Welcome to Insights, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Insights is an audio podcast that provides perspective on the opportunities and uncertainties facing investors today. Today's program, the Market Insights Notes on the Week Ahead. Hello, this is David Kelly. I'm Chief Strategist here at J.P. Morgan Funds. Today is April 26th, 2021. On May 22nd, my wife and I planned to eat dinner at a restaurant. In normal times, such a news item would not exactly make the family headlines. But since the pandemic struck, we have taken a cautious approach and eaten at restaurants only once or twice, and then only if outside dining was available. For the last six months, a New England winter has deprived us of even that option. However, on Wednesday, Sari got her second shot and I get mine on May 8th. And so, two weeks later, I can already see myself perusing an oversized menu at a favourite restaurant. Everything will look good, and my only problem will be maintaining some restraint. While the bread, the wine, the appetizers, the salad, the steak, the pommes frites, and the molten chocolate cake will look equally appealing at the outset, I fear their cumulative implications for a digestive system which is only a distant memory of such bounty. Democrats in Congress may feel a similar nervousness about the expanding menu of the President's agenda. Of course they generally approved of the measures in the huge American Rescue Plan, which is currently flooding money into an already fast-improving economy. However, his proposals to fight climate change, to build infrastructure, to fund health care and education and anti-poverty programs, and to impose a wide swath of higher taxes on corporations and wealthier households, sum up to a sea change in federal fiscal policy. This Wednesday, the President will use his biggest stage, a speech to a joint session of Congress, to outline these plans and to try to sell them to the American people. However, given the magnitude of his agenda and the narrowness of the Democratic majority in the House and the Senate, it is likely that these proposals will have to be scaled back somewhat if they are to be enacted, even, as seems likely, they are pushed through Congress using the reconciliation process, which only requires a simple majority in the Senate. There's only so much that the Congress, or the American people for that matter, can swallow at one time. Because of this, the corporate income tax rate is more likely to be raised to 25% rather than 28%. The global corporate minimum tax, if agreed to internationally, would likely be at a lower rate than the 21% favoured by Treasury Secretary Yellen. There will also be other difficult choices. The President may propose eliminating the step-up in basis for capital gains on inherited property, but this will likely run into fierce opposition if it applies to inherited farms and small businesses, or could invite creative accounting if its applicability is limited to financial assets only. In addition, a proposal to dramatically raise capital gains tax rates for those earning over a million dollars, particularly if accompanied by a similar increase in dividend taxes, could sharply reduce the after-tax expected return on stocks for the very wealthy, and could thus hurt equity markets. Needless to say, Democrats in Congress will not want to be blamed for any severe stock market correction prior to the midterm elections. It should be stressed, however, that even if only some of these proposals are passed, their net impact will likely be significantly positive for aggregate demand. There is a long history in Washington of today's spending being funded by tomorrow's taxes, and a more recent pattern of not really worrying about the funding of it at all. However, for investors, the question is obviously not just about fiscal stimulus, but also about the investment implications of the taxes used to partially finance it. Economic data due out this week should continue to paint a rosy picture of the pace of economic recovery. First quarter real GDP, due out on Thursday, could show a 5% annualised gain, following a 4.3% increase in the fourth quarter of last year. 
However, the details could reveal falling inventories during the quarter, setting the stage for a potential double-digit surge in real GDP in the second quarter. Personal income and spending data, due out on Friday, should show a huge surge in income, reflecting the impact of stimulus checks, but also very strong gains in consumer spending in March. Significantly, this report will also likely show March year-over-year inflation of 2.2%, according to the personal consumption deflator, which is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. One other interesting data point this week will be the April reading on perceived labour market conditions in the Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Survey. Recent surveys have shown an increase in those reporting that jobs are plentiful in their local area. But this number remains far below its pre-pandemic peaks. In contrast, the JOLTS survey for the end of March showed 7.4 million job openings, very close to a record of 7.6 million set in November of 2018. In addition, the March survey of small businesses conducted by the National Federation of Independent Business, showed 42% of owners reporting having job openings that they could not fill, a record high in the 48 years over which this question has been asked. This seeming disparity may reflect some unwillingness among low-wage unemployed workers to take a job at pre-pandemic wages, given the availability of enhanced unemployment benefits. If so, the pressure on businesses to raise wages as the economy bounces back could become intense. All of this will feed into thinking of the Federal Reserve, which concludes its third FOMC meeting of this year on Wednesday. No actual changes in policy are expected, and Chairman Powell would no doubt prefer that markets also assume no change in Fed thinking. However, it's hard to see how the Fed can ignore further stock market gains and recent much stronger-than-expected readings on retail sales, employment, and global PMI surveys. Consequently, some upgrade to the description of current economic activity seems likely. In addition, since the March personal consumption deflator, due out two days after they meet, is likely to show a year-over-year gain that is solidly above 2%, the Fed may feel compelled to modify assertions that inflation continues to run below 2%. In his press conference, Chairman Powell will likely renew his argument that any increase in inflation above 2% would be transitory. However, even transitory inflation pressures in a fast-recovering economy raises the likelihood of an increase in the federal funds rate in 2023, and a tapering of Fed bond bond purchases early next year. This prospect could put upward pressure on long-term interest rates regardless of the Fed's messaging on Wednesday. Finally, investors will continue to watch the earnings season, with 181 of the S&P 500 companies set to announce their first quarter results this week. With 24% of the S&P 500 market cap reporting as of last Thursday, 86% of companies had beaten consensus estimates on earnings, and 71% had beaten consensus on revenues, both well above their long-term averages. While positive surprises have supported the stock market, the trend in earnings is even more important. According to Standard & Poor's, analysts now expect S&P 500 operating EPS to rise by 46% in 2021, compared to the pandemic-ravaged numbers for 2020. This still leaves the S&P 500 sporting a 4PE ratio of 23.5 times 2021 earnings. If earnings rise a further 14% in 2022, as currently projected by analysts, and stock prices are unchanged between now and the end of the year, the forward P.E. ratio would fall to 20.6 times. However, this is still more than one standard deviation above its long-term average. In addition, analysts may be too optimistic about earnings in 2022, given the potential next year for higher corporate taxes, higher wages, higher interest rates, and slowing economic growth. Even as prospects for the economy and public health improve, investors need to maintain some discipline. The S&P 500 has already tacked on a total return of 11.8% year-to-date to add to its gains of 18.4% last year and 31.5% in 2019. 
Interest rates have risen since the start of the year, but with 10-year tips still leading, uh, yielding negative 76 basis points, they are likely to rise further in a fast-improving economy. Moreover, there are increasingly obvious areas of froth and speculation across U.S. capital markets. Investors will be well advised to be cautious about duration in mega-cap stocks and make sure they have sufficient exposure to value stocks and international stocks, which continue to look cheaper than the S&P 500. Above all, despite an understandable increase in optimism, investors should ask increasingly pointed questions about the prices on the assets they are buying. Well, that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week. And if you have any questions in the meantime, please reach out to your J.P. Morgan representative. This content has been produced for information purposes only. And as such, the views contained herein are not to be taken as advice or recommendation to buy or sell any investment or interest thereto. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the recipient. The material was prepared without regard to specific objectives, financial situation, or needs of any particular receiver. Any research in this asset has been obtained and may have been acted upon by J.P. Morgan Asset Management for its own purpose. The results of such research are being made available as additional information and do not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, statements of financial market trends, or investment techniques and strategies expressed are those of J.P. Morgan Asset Management unless otherwise stated as of the date of production. They are considered to be reliable at that time, but no warranty as to the accuracy and reliability or completeness in respect of any error or omission is accepted. They may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. J.P. Morgan Distribution Services Incorporated. Copyright 2018. J.P. Morgan Chase & Company.